Before we get started, um, I just want to ask everyone who's listening, if you find the podcast or this episode helpful, please share, so like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you're listening. Uh, leave a review if you can. It really helps to get the podcast out to whoever it can help. And um, the easiest way for you guys to help me get more listeners is uh to share it with people that you think it'll help. So um, I really appreciate it. And um, on to the show. This is the Cherished You Podcast. I am your host, Rama. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, This is going to be the uh, last episode of the Primary Stress Response Series. And um, the first episode was a couple weeks ago where I talked about uh, what your primary stress response is and how to identify it uh, within yourself. Last week's episode, the second episode um, of the series, was about how to shift out of the fawn and freeze response, and we talked about how uh, fight or flight uh, kind of uh, have like a, their own kind of lifespan. There's only so long you can stay in either one of those, but it's really the adaptive ones that we needed to learn how to move out of. And this week, um, I'm going to go into uh, nervous system regulation routines. Now, this is kind of um, what I call advanced healing 201, 202, or whatever you want to call it. I forget how colleges used to do that, but that's how my college used to do it. But um, it's really, uh, this is... The, and really advanced is probably the wrong word because it, it, it implies that there's like beginner healing and then there's advanced healing. We're really just, just stages. And what happens after you've been doing this kind of work for a while is that you learn over time what, um, what coping skills and what tools work for you and which ones don't. And maybe some work in certain seasons of your life and other ones don't. And this part, this episode is really just... Um, learning how to figure out what's working for you right now and to use the tools that you have, that you, that you know work for you and, and to actually use them. So the thing with um, figuring out what tools work for you is actually not that hard. I think anyone who's doing, who does this, heal, this kind of healing work, this like, you know, trying to undo a lot of childhood um, neglect and abuse you kind of um, almost become a connoisseur of all the different kind of uh, healing modalities and skills and tools and coping skills, all this stuff that comes our ways with like breath work and um, yoga and, um, you know, meditation and tapping and all these other skills and stuff that, that, that we have of our disposable and all the free education we have at our disposal about all of these things. I think what 
we almost kind of um, love to kind of stay in the space of, well, there's got to be something else I don't know. So let me go learn this other skill without ever actually just stopping for a second and realizing that maybe we have all we need right now. Maybe for the time being, you don't need to learn a new skill. You don't need to learn a new coping, uh, you know, like how, how to cope in a better way. You, maybe you don't need to learn another thing on how to control your breath or what kind of breath you should be doing or get another um, embodiment technique. You don't need to do another one. You really just need to use what you already know. And I think that we, it, especially in this age of like social media education, it is so easy to just be like, well, there's got to be, if I keep scrolling, I'll just find this next new thing that I didn't know about. And you will. And you will go down the rabbit hole and spend, you know, a day, a week, a month, a year learning about this other thing and still possibly feeling like the same, like in the, in the same space you do right now, not having made any progress toward the things that you want to make progress toward not having any more fulfilling relationships than you do right now. You'll be in essentially the same space with, with a little bit more knowledge, but no better application of that knowledge. And I think that knowledge is only as good as what you can use. That's why people who don't know as much but use everything they've got tend to get farther than those who know a lot and don't do anything with it. And that's um, me calling out myself because I fall into the latter category. I love to learn things. I very rarely use what I learn. <laughs> And when I do tend to use what I learn, I get a lot further than just learning a new thing. And really the whole point of this episode is just to, for you to do like another self-assessment because a lot of this work is just looking at what you already got, not even just in terms of the crap that you have, but of all the gifts that you have, um, of all the knowledge you've already acquired, of all the things you already know, and just putting that to use. Maybe the way that you originally learned something and you originally tried it out. Um, I'm going to use an example again of myself because I, I found this one interesting. I, when I learned the, um, the artist's way, which was like in 2014 or 2015 was when I first learned about it. And I did the whole writing three pages before my brain was conscious deal in the morning. And for, a, for the month that I did it, it was really, really hard because... I would, because I didn't know how to properly regulate myself yet, I was just in the process, I was still in the, you know, the early stages of my healing, and I was just, you know, I was just learning all of these skills. I was just learning all of these things that I had never been taught before, so I was overwhelmed with the amount of learning that I was doing, and I, but I, that was a safe space for me. I understood what that felt like, because that was, you know, that deeply triggered the fawn response in me, and I loved learning. And it was, um, I mean, I still love learning, but I really was addicted to it at that point because I was, I opened up this whole Pandora's box of stuff I didn't know. And I was just consume, 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 learn, 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 um, take in, take in, take in. And when I tried out the artist's way, I would do it in the morning. But the problem was because I didn't know how to regulate myself, I would be, if I happened to write about stuff that was upsetting that day, I would be upset the entire day and I would still be upset the next morning when I went and did it again and wrote those pages and then I would still I would I was upset I think honestly like really physically um, almost neurotically upset for almost two solid weeks out of that month that I did the artist way every day in the morning 
And it wasn't until a few years later when I was kind of reassessing as to I was going through the same process I'm going to share with you guys with myself about how I was like, okay, maybe I just, I know everything I need to know and I just need to apply what I know. And I was going through all the tools that I had learned and I got to the, those pages and I was like, I still have the notebook that I wrote all that stuff in for that month. And I realized like sometimes there are certain seasons of my life where that particular tool is helpful. It is not a tool that is helpful for me to use every day. Um, it is not a tool that is I would use if I'm working through something very heavy. Because what I learned over a few years later, when I finally stopped learning, actually, it was, and, I, and I kind of took a moment and reassessed everything that I knew, um, when I took a step back and I kind of looked at everything, I realized that I tend, I'm a big, um, I, I tend to live in fawn and free simultaneously a lot. And that is my default, which also means that I spend a lot of time intellectualizing my emotions rather than feeling them and writing stuff out like the artist way shows you to, or just journaling in general, um, is helpful for me after I have felt what needs to be felt. So what I learned for a couple of years after that, that first experience with, um, with journaling and the artist way and all that was that I am somebody who needs, who lives in my head. I live in my head 98% of the time. It's that 2% where I drop into my body and I make a conscious effort to do that every day now, but it's when I drop into my body and I'm like, okay, what do I need to feel that I have not felt? What did I have to stuff down today that I didn't feel? That's gonna cause me problems in a day or two or in a week or when I start PMSing. Cause that's always when this stuff comes up. If I haven't dealt with shit, it'll come up during my PMS. That's gonna be another, another topic for another episode. But that's also like for women or you know people who menstruate, that's a big, that's a big indicator of whether or not you, um, the severity of your PMS can tell you whether or not you've been doing the work that month. And once I realized that I cannot keep using tools that keep me in my head, I have to use tools that force me into my body because associating is so easy for me and so second nature. Um, that I have, that my instinct needs to be to do the exact opposite of that because that again is my foundational nervous system. That is what was formed when I was a child and I had no agency was to dissociate. My brain was my safe space. My thinking mind was my safe space. So that's where I went. I now over the course of the last, you know, seven or so years have spent teaching my nervous system that my body is a safe space that I can live in my body, that I can feel whatever comes up and, and the emotion will not break me. That I will survive whatever feeling it is that I need to feel and I will still come out the other end and I'll be fine. And that's really the point of these regulation routines. Whatever, however, I don't ever tell anybody how to make one up. Um, I'm just telling, I, what I always try to make sure is that you hit your hot spots. You hit your pause, you hit your movement, you hit your breath, however which way those three things happen. Um, and then after that, if after you do all those things, your mind is still, 
overactive, if your mind is still wanting to take over your body, then go to an intellectual place where you can dump all of that down. And that's where something like journaling, you know, the artist way, something that is intellectual will help. Um, for me, that happens to be this podcast and that's, and it's been a healthy outlet versus um, an unhealthy one where I kind of sit and ruminate and I'm a big overthinker. I can be, I can be a really bad overthinker if I let myself and um, finding a healthy outlets for all of those things really does make um, my life just as a whole much easier to navigate um, versus before. So the whole, the point of a regulation routine is, and again, I use a lot of chemistry terms because A, I was a chem major, B, I loved chemistry. Any form of chemistry was really just a lot of fun for me. And um, my, that's really like my first um, real thing that lit up my brain. And I tend to still think in a lot of those terms. So um, the whole goal of a regulation routine is what I call lowering your refractory period. And what that is, it's the amount of time that you're in, and I think I spoke about this a little bit last time, but it's the amount of time between when you're experiencing your primary stress response to coming in to neutral. So coming back to neutral and then being able to think with your, the executive part of your brain and being able to act from an aligned place, it's that we're trying to shorten that time span from when you're stressed out in a stress response to when you're back to neutral. And when you're in a prolonged stress response, like most of us have been for a lot of our lives, that time period tends to be pretty long. It can, it can take you a while to kind of come back down to neutral where you honestly are not holding a grudge, you're not feeling resentful, you're not like, okay, well, I'm just gonna have to sweep this under the rug kind of deal, where you honestly feel like an issue has been resolved and you can then reconnect to yourself and to the, and to the other, other person, if, you know, in the, most of the time this involves some sort of relationship, whether it's a work or a personal, intimate, whatever it is, you can come back to relate with one another from a honest to God, neutral, connected place and not a place full of resentment and um, you know, just avoidance. The, now you won't, the, the one thing to understand is that this time frame will never be zero. You will never get to a zero second spot where you just go from stressed out to neutral automatically and everything's fine. But we can lower it from maybe days or weeks to a day, maybe 12 hours, maybe six, in some cases, a few minutes. This is depending on the severity and um, how, uh, again, honestly, how much work you do on learning how to regulate yourself and how much the other person that, the, when, when, you know, whoever this involves, whatever relationship that is, does the work on themselves. And if you're able to translate that work with yourself to a work within a relationship. And that's really kind of what all of this stuff kind of comes down to, all of my work, really what it comes down to, is being able to live more, a more fulfilled life with better relationships that are healthy. 
where you can speak freely um, while understanding each other's boundaries, while holding a lot of love and compassion for each other, and ha being a safe space, being a safe human for another human. I think a lot of the issues that a lot of us come across in our time and space is the fact that our relationships are crap. We're just used to being in shitty relationships and we think there's no way around it. And we are all afraid of losing each other because we are all isolated from, ourself, from ourselves. And we are not an island. No human is. We need each other. We cannot live by ourselves. But that doesn't mean that we have to live in shitty, in shitty relationships. We can at least try to have healthier relationships with each other. And if you can't, then that's also you know, a topic for another day, but that's also something that you will have the strength and resolve to address. So when you're creating your regulation routine, now again, I don't ever tell anyone what, what tools they should absolutely use. Um, this is not like my supplement thing where I'm just like, there are certain supplements that everybody should be taking because that's everybody should be taking. There's a kind of, there's very few things that I'll ever say about that. That's probably one of the only spaces where I'm like, this is what you really need to be doing. Um, but I, the, the thing with regulation, and because we all experience our stress very differently, is what the only thing I will suggest is having a honest third party who's able to look at you without having any emotional investment in who you are. So not somebody who you've known your whole life who, who subconsciously wants you to stay the way you are because that's how they know you. And not somebody so new that they don't understand your context. But just an objective third party who maybe isn't involved in your day-to-day -day life and able to just, at the very least, be able to ask you questions so you can gain some more understanding of yourself. And if you're able to do that with yourself, that's fantastic. Go right ahead and do it. Um, or if you have a method of doing that for yourself, you, this is where you would apply that. And the goal is to figure out, okay, my, when am I in freeze, when am I in fawn, when am I in fight, and when am I in flight? And with fight or flight, a really good um, kind of good measure to see is how long do you stay in those? Now, here's something that I've noticed. Um, again, I tend to attract um, clients that are very similar to me, to me in how they respond to stress. And so what I have noticed is that I have a lot of, um, a lot of my clients will be stuck in fight a lot that um, tends to then kind of shift into a form of overthinking that is interconnected with fawn. So they kind of shift from fight to fawn with a healthy dose of freeze in there because within them, this, like the overthinking is really the freeze. So they, like, they kind of shift into this dual thing where by themselves, in their own space, they are very much in freeze, but outwardly to anybody else watching them, they would see them as in fawn or they wouldn't recognize them as in fun, but that's what they're doing. They're out here being able to be everything for everybody, but internally they're stuck in freeze, and that came out of a fight response. So the fight shifted into that. Now, if you're one of those, if you fall into that category, you have, it's, it's a little bit harder because you do have to simultaneously move and pause yourself 
<laughs> so you have to shift out of the freeze by moving, but you need to shift out of the fawn by stopping. And this is hard because it's like trying to press the brake and the accelerator in your car at the same time. What happens? Your car completely jams up. And this is where you have to kind of do it in pieces. And really what, what I found with, um, with myself and with clients who go through this in this particular way where you shift out of fight into this simultaneous freeze fawn response is that you really need, um, the first thing to honestly handle is the freeze. The freeze is the easiest thing to do, um, is to kind of go into and, um, and really just connect back to your body and feel whatever feeling was truncated when the fight response kicked in. So when the initial fight response kicked in, you need to go in and finish that whole loop so that that and any emotions that are riding right behind it are all kind of come to their natural conclusion. And then you can, you'll be able to stop the overthinking because the overthinking is really a response to my nervous system is still activated. I still have this, this thing inside me that needs to be felt, but I'm not feeling it. So I'm keeping it all in my head. And once you're able to get out of that and your brain is able to stop thinking so hard, then you can shift into, the, into responding to your fawn response and calming yourself down. However, that usually needs to be. A good cry usually works. Um, but it might be taking just some time alone in a safe space and letting yourself kind of really go through the whole feeling process, let your body experience wherever it needs to experience it, and then letting it come to a natural close. Now, if you're coming out of flight, flight is also usually has a time span. And what happens with flight that I have seen, now I don't personally experience flight all that much. My flight and my fight tend to be intertwined. Um, and because um, my, as a kid, I really couldn't go anywhere. Um, I, whenever I felt the need to run or run away from, from a scary situation, I would freeze. And that's also um, what I've usually noticed as a, um, with my clients is that they have, um, they tend to be frozen so that the, the, their freeze response tends to be in overdrive. What that looks like is that if you're at work, you might be working a little bit slower um, than everybody else, not necessarily because you, you work at a slower pace, but it's just, it's just taking you a long time to kind of process all the pieces of the information. And you're kind of doing it bit by bit rather than your brain kind of just what it normally should do is kind of seamlessly put through all the steps. Um, so there's that kind of, that the flight and freeze response tend to, I, I more often than not, in my experience, what I've seen is that those guys tend to go together. I am sure there's also a, um, a variation of that where you go from flight to fawn, where you, you know, you run away or you, you threaten to you run away and then you come back and you overcompensate by completely dissociating from yourself to give to other people. Um, to over, and then again, that's a, a compensatory, almost overcompensatory response to, to running away. Again, the, depending on where you're at, the freeze and the fawn, like we talked about in the last episode, is really where you need to kind of figure out, okay, how do I reconnect to myself? 
And in these regulation routines, that's really what you're trying to do. It is what is the safest way, given my current context, how can I reconnect to my body? And the goal is really to, can I feel safely right now? Can I be a safe space for myself and really feel everything that needs to get felt so that I can then start to think critically and actually engage my executive function to go do, to make a different choice this time around. And that's really the primary goal because what happens when you're stressed out of any sort, when you have a stress response, your, your executive brain, the frontal lobe of your brain completely shuts down. You will not be able to access it. You stay on the internal uh, paleolithic old wired part of your brain. Your emotional brain is where you get stuck. So in order to expand our use of our, literally the expand, the, complete the use of our brains completely is to be able to access that frontal lobe, you need to be actually be in a relaxed state. You need to be in a neutral neuro neurological state in order to or able to do that. And that, like this is how, we, when you're in a stress response, you need to shift out of that before you're able to ever think clearly before you're able to make a different response, before you're able to apologize, make amends, reconnect. All of those things require us to have be in a, in a relatively neutral stress, in a, in a relatively neutral nervous system um, state to be able to do any of those things. So again, what I would suggest, and I would love to hear from you guys on this, if you can go to the show, the, um, the, page for the for the episode on my website or even if you leave it in the response um, on whatever podcast service you're listening to this on if you would share with me um, what you um, what kind of what your routines look like depending on what your stress response is and how also how, what kind of routines do you have when you're not stressed out to make sure that you are more able to access your routines when you are because that's also a really key thing to understand. It's really easy to say when you're not activated, oh hey, I want to, I want, next time this happens, I'll just do X, Y, and Z. Except for the fact that when you're activated, all of a sudden, all of your critical thinking skills go out the window and you're not able to do X, Y, and Z. So how do you, how do you even start that? How, how do you guys approach that? I would really love to hear from y'all um, because I think it's really, I think the best way to learn about this stuff is to learn how other people do it and also to understand that maybe how other people do it isn't how you do it. So if you've, um, I think the more that we hear from each other, we can understand that it's to each individual, like even though this is a collective process, we all have our each unique way of doing it. And um, at the very least, it's just fun to see how everyone um, approaches themselves when, um, they get, they, they're experiencing stress or in one of these stress responses or they're activated and how they um, get out of that. So hopefully that helps a little bit. Again, I, like, um, I know it was, I felt like I kind of veered off into the wilderness on some of this one, but like, again, I don't like to tell how you should you know, reconnect to yourself. I think that's really hard to do. But I think if you, you, if you've done a lot of the learning, which if you're listening to me, you have, um, there's no, you don't have any shortage of knowledge. You just have a shortage of application most likely. And an application in a way that feels good 
for you. So maybe you followed other people's routines and it's just like, well, it works for them. So it must, it could possibly work for me. And it most likely probably won't. And so the whole goal behind, behind these routines is like, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I want to know what you do because I may not do it your way, but I still like to see all the different ways that everyone's going to be doing it because there just as you know, just as much as there are seven and a half billion people on the planet, there are seven and a half billion ways to do this stuff. And in order to trace, I think, I think the easiest way to learn how to stay true to yourself is to learn, is to see other people doing the same. It gives us permission to then do the same for ourselves. Not necessarily do the same, do the thing the way that I do the thing, but here's how I do the thing. Now you do your thing the way you want to. Hopefully that makes sense. It makes sense in my head. Anyway, I'd love to hear from you guys. So please go to the um, show page, uh, the show's page on my website. Um, you can just click the link on wherever you um, are listening to the podcast. Or if you leave me a review um, or a rating, you can uh, leave me a response there as well. I'd love to hear from you guys. Um, other than that, I will talk to you all next week. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to the Cherished You podcast. If you could please leave me a review, um, subscribe and share. It really helps get the podcast out to those who it will help the most.